uh, yesterday morning, uh, we got up and was our, our day off, and I was just kind of just hanging out a little bit in the morning, just staying in bed and praying, and I just decided to do a Facebook post, and as I started to to write a Facebook post, um, I just felt the spirit of prophecy just begin to enter into the room, and I started just sharing some stuff on Facebook that I... Um, I just really just feel like it's the Lord. So I'm going to just uh, share with you what I wrote in, in the post and then talk a little bit about what I, what I see coming and a little bit about the resistance from um, it's the people of God. <laughs> it's funny how believe, uh, unbelievers just like, wow, whatever, man, if it's good, I'll take it. And believers are like, hey, that's too good to not rush, usher in the tribulation. <clears throat> so this is what I wrote, and um, I'll explain a little bit more. I, I got some more as I was writing, but this is what I wrote. I have a sense that our country is improving. I had a vision of God blowing or breathing on this continent as Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a suggestion, but a command. I saw the nation turning blood red from the East Coast to the West Coast. It was the redemptive nature of forgiveness being assimilated into the ground, and out of the soil, souls were emerging like soldiers in a battlefield. Dead bones were coming to life. They were dressed for battle in different realms. Some had expensive business suits, and others were, wearing, were dressed like doctors and, teacher, and teachers and, and mothers and so forth. <clears throat> they were all given secret messages that they read and then ate. The messages transformed them and equipped them for their mission. Revelation was released over the nation, and inventions and innovations were springing up all over like flowers in the first week of spring. Pennsylvania was highlighted as if it was a major as, as if a major breakthrough was rising from there. Instead of two towers, three towers were being built as a sign of the strength of the economy being supported by a three-cord strand. I felt a warning that many would look at the political climate to determine the condition of the country. But the signs of revival would not flow from the White House, but to it. <clears throat> Hope would not arise from the polls, but from the people. This was a people movement <clears throat> that swept the globe, turning the, the planet deep purple. I saw the Lord. Um, <clears throat> I saw the Lord blowing freezing cold air over Iran and North Korea. It created impossible conditions for war. He literally froze their war machines. It was as if the political climate changed. Uh, it was a, it was a, I'm sorry. It was a political climate change equal to the fall of the Iron Curtain. Every country that was bent on war was frozen. The climate was suddenly and unpredictably changed. It was weird but good. I saw that God already released Daniel's into China, and humility and and generosity would spring up from the east. God called it a helps movement. And I saw that China would be given the gift of helps for the world. God was hugging, God was, uh, God was hugging centuries of brokenness out of China. And I heard the words singing revolution. <clears throat> so I, people, um, you know, they write to me all the time and they're like, what do you think is going to happen with the economy and who's going to win? the election and and um and all that kind of stuff and 
And I figure if God doesn't tell me, then I, I just don't have to have an opinion. And I, I, um, I've sort of braved the, I've tried to brave the pressure of uh, performing. I know that when I first um, came to Bethel, I'm probably maybe years before that, but I became aware of it when I came to Bethel and we began to, we began to have more of a public platform that there's a lot of pressure to have answer for things that God doesn't necessarily reveal to you. Sometimes he'll reveal them to somebody else, but he doesn't. How many of you know he doesn't tell you everything? (laughs) The Bible says we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't say I have the mind of Christ. It's collective intelligence. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? And so, um, you know, I have to be honest, in the early days, um, when somebody would ask a question or there was a lot of pressure especially in the, in the uh, podium to speak about the coming new year or the coming election or the coming whatever, I, I really feel like I felt so much pressure to have something to say. And I, but I, I feel like um, as I've gotten older and um, hopefully a little bit wiser and made enough mistakes that, um, that I if the Lord has something he wants to tell me, then he tells me because I make myself available. And I'm always asking him, like, who's going to win the Super Bowl? And <laughs> what's the spread going to be? I'm teasing about that part, of course. But uh, I am always, you know, seeking the Lord about what's going to happen in, in different, at different times with different events. But I, I really have um, I've really not... I really release myself from the pressure of having to have a word about everything that happens in our nation or that's important, unless the Lord really wants to talk to me about it. So um, I, I haven't really shared, like last year, I, did, I didn't really have a corporate word for our nation. And I, I have some idea who's going to win the presidency, but I'm not going to tell you. Um, but, you know, when it's all over, I'll show you. I notice that's what the older prophets do. After it was done, they're like, yeah, that's what I got. I knew that. Back in 43, I prophesied that would happen. And um, I noticed that if you say things general enough or if you say things often enough, eventually you're right. You know, if you predict enough earthquakes in California, you know, eventually you're going to be right. Then you're like, yeah, I said that 40 years ago. That was going to happen. Yeah, good for you. Awesome. <laughs> but um, I, um, I do feel like the, that they're really... I feel like the Lord showed me that America is going to be improving, that the economy is going to improve little by little. Um, I, you know, if I were you, I wouldn't go out and buy stocks on what I just said. If I were you, I would test the word. You have a relationship with God. I would go talk to God about what I just said. And um, if I'm wrong and um, two years or three years goes by or two years goes by and we, our economy hasn't um, improved quite dramatically, I'll be the one standing in front of you saying I made a mistake. That was wrong word. Or if Iran decides to um, get a nuclear weapon and attack somebody, then I just told you that the Lord said he froze their assets. He created a climate where that couldn't happen. So if it happens, then I will be um, publicly apologizing. Um, and I feel like, first of all, I feel like that's the right thing to do. 
if you if you mess up and you think you heard God and you and you didn't, then you don't just take it off your website. You apologize. <clears throat> I also don't like the, um, well, people prayed and changed my disaster word. That's, that's great that they prayed and changed your disaster word, but oftentimes you share disaster words and then say they can't be changed. These are sovereign. And then when they change, then you decide to tell everyone that they prayed them off, which was kind of weird because that's not what you said when you gave the word. So um, I, I really feel like um, we're in a good season. Um, but just to be really clear, I don't think that the political, I don't think that the political um, climate will determine um, what God's doing. Like, I don't think that the Lord is leading with politicians right now. I don't mean he never does. I want to be really clear. I do think that there are countries um, outside of America where the move, main move of God is coming from the political realm. But I don't think that it, this next four years will be that will be demonstrated. I don't think that you can look to a person. I, I never think you can look to a person for the answer. I, I think you know that. But I'm actually saying I don't think that a person is going to bring this dramatic change that I see happening in our country. I think it's a people movement. I think the Lord is doing it all among the people, and I think there will be many um, people that will rise up and become powerful and, and, if you will, uh, famous in this movement, but they probably won't be the people that you vote for. And so um, <clears throat> you, you may be thinking, um, I, I'm trying to say something political. I'm really not. I'm saying, I'm just telling you what the Lord told me. The Lord said, don't look to the political climate to determine what I'm doing in America in the next four years. And so, um, so in other words, don't get excited or disappointed by what's happening in the political climate because the Lord has chosen a different venue for this season. And so I think that's pretty exciting. I also saw, um, just to explain, you know um, how the Twin Towers fell? I had this picture, a vision, if you will, that there was three towers being built, and the third one was the third, was a, the third strand, if you will, the a, you know, um, Ecclesiastes says uh, a cord of three strands isn't easily broken. And I saw the Lord rise up and I saw generosity and humility come to our nation. And I saw that generosity and humility and stewardship were going to begin to break the back of poverty, debt. And I, I really and I, and I think that invention and innovation are going to begin to flow out of, out of America. And um, I saw Pennsylvania highlighted, and I actually have no idea what that means. Um, and I actually prayed about it for another 20 or 30 minutes while I laid there in bed. I don't know what it means, but, um, but Pennsylvania was, was highlighted. It was like neon. And so I feel like something powerful is going to flow out of Pennsylvania to the rest of the United States and to the world. And um, this is an interesting um, I, um, I, I suddenly saw the map of China, and the, the Lord said uh, to me that a helps movement was coming out of China. And I didn't tell you this part, but as I was praying about it, I heard the word misunderstood, and I saw it written over the country, misunderstood. And um, I, I don't know how you're going to take this. All this needs to be judged, because this is a prophetic word. 
So I think you should judge this word. But I feel like sometimes we uh, have demonized people that we don't understand. And we uh, have, I think, uh, this is what I think the Lord showed me. So please uh, feel free to judge this. But I think that the great dragon, dragon coming out of China was actually demonizing the very people that God loves. A million man army and all that eschatology has turned us against a people that God very much wants to use to powerfully bless the world. And I have to tell you, um, I had this experience. I went to Russia six months ago or something. I went to Russia, and um, for all of you that are around my age, 50-ish, you'll remember that if you were in America, you'll remember that we had air raid um, practices. We would, pra- we would have these air, the air raid alarm would go off, and we would hide underneath our desks because of um, the, our, the Cold War with Russia. How many of you are old enough to remember that? And we, we would hide under our desks. Remember that? Which, <laughs> now, thinking back, I'm like, I have no idea. If someone drops nuclear bomb on you... <laughs> I don't know that hiding under your desk is going to do anything except for they're going to go, well, there's the bones right there. They're hiding it around the desk. <laughs> you can't get me. You can't see me. I'm underneath the desk. <laughs> I said, pretty stupid. <laughs> no idea what that was about. Yes, but we don't have a bomb shelter, but we have a metal desk. <laughs> stupid kid, hang on to the metal desk if there's a bomb. You'll be all right. All right. Thank you very much. So I spent my um, early years just you know, terrified of the Russians. They're, someday they're going to press the button, you know, and they're going to they're going to try to blow us up, and we're going to try to blow them up. And you remember the whole Star Wars thing with President Reagan? You remember this? And he was going to give it to them, and so that and and we were going to have it too, so that if they if somebody launched a missile against us, a nuclear missile against us, we can launch one against them, and then we can intercept them. Remember all this stuff? So, I mean, all of that stuff, I mean, for, for you young people, you, know, you, don't, you, don't really have, you don't have any emotional attachment to that. But I, I have emotional attachment. I remember the stress, the literal stress of wondering, laying up at night at, at times as a young man, wondering, as a young boy, wondering if we were going to be blown off the face of the planet someday. Just for the rest of the people, how many of you had that same stress? You, so these people know I'm not alone. Thank you. I may be by myself, but I am not alone. And then I went to Russia six months ago. I went to Russia for the first time, which was very interesting because here in my mind, you know, you've got to understand that I grew up with this from the time I was little, that these were the bad guys and we were the good guys. And then I watched the Rocky movie. Rocky Four changed a little bit of my attitude. I was like, I could see that you know the Russians they were a little nicer than I was taught in school. But I I went to Russia and I ended up in Siberia, which was kind of funny because you know we always say to people who don't do their job here at Bethel, listen, I'm going to ship you off to Siberia. You're going to be a missionary to Siberia. And they told me what city I was going to in Russia. What I didn't understand is that the city I was going to was in Siberia, which is a territory. So they didn't tell me that this city I was going to was actually in Siberia. So I'm sitting next to a man uh, on a plane. We I flew uh, four planes to get to get to Russia, 
And so on the fourth plane, I'm sitting next to a man, and nobody speaks English there at all. So, uh, and the man I'm sitting next to speaks a little bit of broken English. And so he says in his broken English, where are you going? I said, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to Russia. And, and I said, um, and, and he said something about, oh, I live in Siberia. I said, well, that's one place I never want to go. <laughs> what I didn't realize is him and I, we were both on a plane to Siberia. <laughs> he looked at me like, the Americans are stupider than we saw in the movies. And, and he gave me this really strange look. You know how someone gives you a look? Like, he looks at me, and then he, again he says, I from Siberia. I said again, well, that's one place I don't want to go. And he looks at me like, so we land, and in the airport there, you can come right up almost to the plane. So the people who uh, came to pick me up, they run up to me, and they have flowers, and they're like, welcome to Siberia. <laughs> I said, am I in Siberia? He said, yes. I said, well, no wonder the man thought I was nuts. But what I figured out is that the Russians were nothing like I had been taught in school. They actually are human. They actually love God. They actually, in fact, so we were telling stories, you know, about, uh, I met with some uh, guys that were um, about my age, and we were talking about the Cold War, and they said, yeah, and we used to hide underneath our desk, they're telling me, because you guys are going to push the button and blow us all up. I said, what gave you that idea? They said, you did it to the Japanese. I'm like, well, there's a good point. <laughs> like, you have some evidence. We, we didn't have any of that. And I, I, I actually realized that, you know, that I, I, I think that we demonize people that we don't understand. And we make, they're the bad guys and we're the good guys. We're the, you know, we, we watch, you watch war movies and whoever, whoever the, aren't the Americans, those are the bad guys and we are the good guys. And remember when we used to have cowboy and Indian movies? I bet, I bet you haven't seen one of those for a long time. I bet you, you see a cowboy and Indian movie, I bet you the network gets a, bet, a lot of bad letters. Because we figured out that the Native Americans, they actually weren't the bad guys. But when I was a kid, the Indians were the bad guys in the movies. How many are old enough to remember that? And you know what that is? That is the mind, mind, mindset shift. You, all of us now, in fact, we don't, do we, I don't even know if it's okay to call them Indians anymore. I think Native Americans. I think otherwise they feel dishonored. But um, we call them Indians, and we thought that they were the savages, and the cowboys were the good guys, and all the movies depicted that. Is, is it true or not? And it's like, you, you can't, you don't watch those movies anymore. I mean, they don't show them anymore, because the way people think about Native Americans is dramatically different. And I think that we're going through a dramatic cultural shift in the way we see people globally. I think we're not just moving to a global economy. I think we're moving to a global mentality. And I think that the people that we used to think were our enemies, we're going to find out are actually our friends. And we're going to find out that God has uniquely given different countries gifts 
for the rest of the world to prosper. And I think that there's a lot of, um, you know what I think the enemy does? This is, mm, I know this part's true. Um, he, he, he stirs us up against a person and he stirs that person against, up against us. He does this even in marriages. Then he stands back and watches us fight. And the whole thing is a bunch of lies. And so I think that the enemy loves to stir countries up against one another and watch them destroy each other. And um, somebody wrote me and said, well, I'm glad you're against war. And I really am against war, but I'm not probably in the same way that they think. I do believe in protecting yourself, and I don't believe in allowing uh, tyrants to run over uh, to run over helpless people. I, I don't think that's okay. So I'm sorry if I offended anyone, but probably I've offended everyone with this message at some point tonight. <laughs> at least I'm not trying to do it on purpose. Um, so anyway, so I, I think that we're coming into a really good season. I really feel like the Lord is, gonna, is doing something powerful. Uh, and I think that um, I think that the Lord determines, like when we, when we pray, God actually does answer. You know, you know um, we're so unaccustomed to it that we actually teach ourselves out of it. Like Jesus prayed 2,000 years ago. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray that the Lord of harvest would send labors into the harvest. That was 2,000 years ago Jesus prayed that. How many of you believe that the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few? I don't. I think God actually answered the prayers and they're sitting right here in the chairs. So you're, you think that Jesus' prayer went unanswered. I think you're their answer. I think that as soon as you receive Jesus Christ, you go from, a, from the harvest to a laborer. And I think that's why we are now a royal priesthood, that there's only, there's only priests in the kingdom. So I think the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are plentiful because I think that God actually answered Jesus' prayer. So I think we get... St- <laughs> See, see, what I'm saying is, I think we pray and don't expect an answer. And then, when, and then when the climate changes, we're like, well, how did that happen? It's like, you actually prayed. Um, I think that... Um, so I put this on my Facebook, and as you can imagine, everybody loved it. I love Facebook because people that have no courage can hide behind their computer and tell you what they really think. They wouldn't have the courage to talk to you face to face, but they can say really nasty stuff to you on a computer and then don't even put their face on Facebook, which is very interesting. (laughs) Yeah, have you noticed that? Like the people who are the nastiest don't put their face up there. And then you check out with their information, they don't have any. I'm like, oh, those are the people who are so courageous. Just a thought. I thought the idea of Facebook is that you had a face book. If you put a picture of a lion there, I don't think the lion is the one writing the Facebook post. It's just another thought I'm having. I'm ranting right now. So one of the Facebook posts, you know, we have all these comments. So I, I had 1,200 uh, thumbs up, and then I had 300 comments like within about four hours, 
and then I had 340 shares. I don't even know what all that means, but I don't think I own stock. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I feel a little nervous tonight. I guess I feel nervous because of my Facebook posts. Um, but somebody posted, of course, you know, there was a whole bunch of, man, that's, that's amazing, that's awesome, that's, you know... Um, hey, the rest of the prophets are prophesying something else. I'm like, awesome for them, you know. <clears throat> and, um, and, but I hope you're right. And I'm like, yeah, me too. I hope I'm right too. <laughs> and, of course, um, some people wanted to remind me of how terrible the condition is and that what I was prophesying was actually impossible, which um, I don't think there's anything you can do that's possible without God anyway. I don't know why we reduce what's supposed to happen down to what we think we can do, because you really can't do anything without God. As soon as you think you can, I mean, God could just take away air and you're just done. (laughs) Just ask Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, he's like, oh, hey, you didn't tithe on that. (laughs) No, I exaggerated that part. But anyway, do you know the only Christians that God ever killed in the Bible was over an offering? I'm not taking one. I'm just noting something. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, actually. I, actually, it does a little bit. I was at a um, prophetic roundtable, I mean, within the last couple of years, and somebody got up and said, prophesied that the days of Ananias and Sapphira were returning. I thought, that's pretty awesome. Don't you think it's awesome? Like, only two people got killed for lying in all the thousands and thousands of people that got saved. Only two. That's good news. (laughs) Bring back the days of Ananias and Sapphira where only two people pay for their own sin and the rest of them God gives grace to even though he doesn't like liars. Or he doesn't like lying. You didn't get all that, did you? I think it's strange when we make a culture out of an exception. I think it's strange when we see two people that God took home early for lying, and then we decide that that should be our culture. And I'm like, wait a second. There was thousands. The first day, 3,000 people got saved. Do you think none of those people lied? Listen, if God took people home early right now for lying in this church. Okay, how many of you would be left? Raise your hand. Yeah, and all three of you are lying. I think it'd just be Eric and me. And I'm not sure about Eric. I think you see my point. It's like, do you think that Ananias and Sapphira were the only two people who lied in the whole 28 years that the book of Acts covers? They're the only two people who lied? I mean, listen, the guy who was questioning them was the most famous liar in the Bible. That was Peter. I mean, they lied over what they sold property for. He lied about knowing Jesus. 
He had to be totally shocked when they when the first one fell dead. He's got to be. <laughs> Wouldn't you be? I'd be like, oh. <laughs> so people write me all the time. They're like, you say all this good stuff, and how about Ananias and Sapphira? I'm like, how about 40 million people saved that didn't die from lying? I mean, that's a pretty good percentage. I mean, you have a, you know, you have a, a two in, in, you know, in 30 million chance of dying from lying. <laughs> Bring back the days of Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you are with me at all? Jesus cursed three cities. That's awesome. How many cities are there in the world? He only cursed three. Just don't live there in the end times. <laughs> oh, Jesus cursed three cities. Well, there's 252 countries or something. I don't know how many cities there are. There's only three cities that are not going to do well on Judgment Day. I'm not going to any of those. <laughs> I don't know how you guys look at this. It's like, <laughs> how many cities deserve to be judged? I don't know. I'm just so revelatory tonight. <laughs> so I, so I, anyway, I, I prophesied this Facebook thing, and um, and actually, this kind of happens every time I say anything good, especially if I say something good about the president or about the economy. And um, and so somebody wrote me. Of course, there was all this good stuff. And someone wrote me um, Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I, am, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a, daughter, uh, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be members of his household. And he who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and fall after me is not worthy of me. And he who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life will, will uh, for my sake, will find it. And then there's Luke 14:26 that I was reminded of. If anyone comes after me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, child, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus actually said that. So listen, you guys that are trying to have a good family, you're just messing up the end times. You should be hating your mother, your father, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. It's right there in plain writing. I read you a verse, verses out of the Bible that this man put on my Facebook. Like, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. And by the way, you're supposed to hate everyone in your family if you love me. And if you don't, you can't be my disciple. So that's, it's interesting that Jesus actually said that. What are you looking at me for? I didn't say I'm just, just reading it. Now, what's interesting is Jesus said, this is Mark 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 5. The Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but they eat their bread with impure hands? 
And Jesus said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy about you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. But in vain you do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Neglecting the commandments of God, you hold to the traditions of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at at setting aside the commandment of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your mother and father, and he who speaks evil of his mother or father is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever I have that could help you is Corban, meaning that's given to God, you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus, you invalid, you're invalidating the word of God by your, by your tradition, which you've handed down, and you do many things such as these. Now, I don't know if you just heard what I read, but the Pharisees are asking Jesus why, their, why his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Because it's their tradition. And Jesus said, you're concerned about tradition? Listen, you don't even keep the commandments. He said, you say, one of the commandments is love, honor your mother and father, and you'll have a long life. And anyone who doesn't honor their mother and father shall be killed. But you say, anything, any, any money I have, any gift I have that can be given to my mom and dad to help them, I'm giving that to God. And Jesus said, you dishonored your mother and father, and therefore you broke the commandments. Now, isn't that interesting? That on one hand, he says, unless you hate your mother and father, you can't be my disciple. On the other hand, he tells the Pharisees, you spend all your money on God, and you don't give anything to your parents, and you've dishonored the the commandment to honor your mother and father. Um, Maybe you'll get the point in a minute. Now, um... Listen to this, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, he said, I didn't come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. Do you remember that? That's all part of this scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, first of all, Paul writes to Timothy, I urge you that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity, this is good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord and Savior. Hebrews um, chapter 13, verse 20. Now the God of peace, who brought you up from the dead, um, sorry, now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus the Lord, give you peace. The God of peace. Um, how many understand that you can find a scripture for any way you want to think? Here's another one. How about this one? This is another one he quoted, by the way. One of the Facebook people quoted. Well, they are saying peace and safety. It's First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse... Um, verse... Uh, Oh, it's First Thessalonians chapter four, verse something, twenty-three. While they're saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child. They will not escape. So, um, I guess they got a little bit riled up because I said something good is going to happen in the earth, 
And they're like, oh, listen, you're, you know what? You're part, you're one of those false prophets who are speaking good things over the world. The economy's gonna get better. The wars are gonna stop. You, you know, you're, you're one of these, you're, you're one of these false prophets who is, is tickling the ears of people. Because you're, you are, you are speaking against the tribulation and against terrible things that are supposed to happen. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring uh, um, peace, but I came to bring a sword. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that Jesus said a lot of things that, uh, that were relevant to a certain people group. And how many of you understand that he doesn't want you to actually hate your wife and your mother and your father and your brothers and your sisters? How many of you understand that? How many of you understand that if you were counseling somebody and they came in, a husband and wife came in, and they said, and, and the man said, I hate my wife, you'd go, ah, it's a sign of the times. <laughs> how many of you would respond that way to somebody personally? How many of, how many, if, if somebody came in to your uh, office or, or sat with you for counseling and said, I hate my mom and dad, how many of you would go, well, that's what Jesus said you should do? <laughs> how many of you would counsel them? Are, are you getting what I'm trying to say? How many of you would say, that's okay? A couple of you raised your hand. Awesome for you. You're probably on my Facebook. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Listen to this. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish that. Let me just read that last part. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David over his kingdom to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness from now on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord, not the polls, not the president, not the king, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah chapter two, verse two. Now it will come about in the last days. How many of you think this is the last days? Well, it's the laster than the last, right? Okay, it was laster today than it was yesterday. You've got to flow with me a little bit. It will come about in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief of the mountains and will raise above the hills and nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He may teach us his ways and we'll walk in his paths. For the instruction will go forth from Zion. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he will judge between many nations and render decisions between many people, peoples. They will, rent, uh, they, they will hammer their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. When's that going to happen? In the last days. It will come about in the last days. So, so someone wrote me Matthew 24, 24, which says in the last days, in fact, I'll read it to you. 24, uh, chapter 24, verse six of Matthew, you'll be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for these things must take place. But the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, kingdom in various places. There shall be famines and earthquakes. And all these things are merely the beginning of the birth pains. So guess what? 
Jesus said that there'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. And in Isaiah chapter two, it says they will no longer train for war and God will make peace. And Isaiah chapter nine says that there'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. So which is it? Which one do you believe for? So people write me as if I don't know there aren't those scriptures. They're like, well, you must like not read your whole Bible. And I'm like, you must not read your whole Bible. Because I have reason to believe that in the last days that God's government is going to increase and the result is going to be peace. Well, how about the people who say peace and safety? Did you read the context of those? Those are wicked people who say God's never coming back. And God says, listen, they're not even going to know what time it is. They're just going to be like a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, not when you say it, when they say peace and safety, I'm going to come and get them in the time that they, that they don't know because they are intentionally, they are intentionally speaking out against me and they have warned them over and over and over and they refuse to repent, and therefore I come to them when they don't know it. But he says, but you're not like them. You know the seasons. What I'm getting at is this, is that I believe that, that love wins, not in the way the book says love wins, but in the way the good book says love wins. I, I, I actually believe that God wants to do something amazing in your day. And I believe that you, the way that you see the end times, the way you, way you view eschatology could actually be costing your city your help. I believe that just as Jesus said, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, you can't be my disciple. And somebody comes in hating their brother, sister, or mother, or father. There's no way you would use that scripture to keep them from reconciling with their, with their parents, with their wife, with their children, with their whatever, you'd be praying for reconciliation, you'd be trying to get them to reconcile, and you wouldn't stand back and go, I got a scripture that says you should just hate them. But we let whole cities go to hell in the name of, well, bad things are going to happen in the last days. And we're like, good things are supposed to happen too. Arise and shine for your light. Are you with me? It's just, it's just become politically incorrect to say something great about your country. It's become politically incorrect to say anything besides describe the dry bones in your country. And I, and I think that that is not prophecy. I don't think prophecy is calling things that are the way they are. I don't think that's prophecy. I think that's New York Times. I don't think it's prophecy to listen to, you know, whatever your favorite news program is and watch their graph and go, well, things are going to get worse and the debt's going to get worse and everything's going to get worse. And it's a sign of the times. I don't think it's good to get your prophetic words from Fox News or CNN or anybody else. I don't hang out in the Fox newsroom to figure out what God's going to do in the earth. And I don't and, and, and honestly, I really don't care what politician agrees with me because I'm not running for anything. 
I'm running to something, but I'm not running from anything. And I'm not, not, I'm not running for any office. I, I, you know, Jesus is king of kings, not president of presidents. He doesn't care how you vote. But I think it affects your life and my life and the life of our city. And I, and I tell you, like the resistance over prophesying good over your city, and especially if it gets any bigger than your city, is so ridiculous that it is actually, in my opinion, killing us. Our eschatology, I think, is killing China. I'm sorry. I never thought that until yesterday. I feel like we take Bible verses and we use them to demonize people. And it was the Pope, and it was Obama, and it was the Russians, and it's a ten-nation, you know, and it's just on and on and on. And the truth is, you don't know what the heck you're talking about, and people are the casualty of your loveless prophecies. Well, they're communists. They're people. I don't care what kind of government they have. They're people. I don't know if you realize this, but David was a king, a monarch. He wasn't a president. They didn't have a democracy. Democracy is not like sanctioned by God. I mean, I'm glad I live in a democracy. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not the only government that can have good things happen. It's the kingdom that brings good stuff, not governments. I could take you to countries that have democracies that are completely corrupt. And I can take you to countries that have monarchies that are completely amazing. People are people. You know, when Israel had a good king, they had a good country. When they had a bad king, they had a bad country. Democracy doesn't make things okay. Whatever. I'm just trying to tell you, like, we need to have a global mindset. God wants to save the world, not America, the world. God loves the world. He set you on a hill and a city on a hill so the whole world could see your light. For you to have prejudice against people because of the place they were of their origin is ridiculous. It's no, it's no worse than what we did to the African Americans, what we did to the, the Native Americans, and, and now we do it to other countries. And yes, I do believe there are wicked dictators. You know, Jude says that there are some people that are just hardened against God. I do believe that. I've met a couple in my life that absolutely are God-haters. But even then, you don't never know when the Rahab is in the middle of a God... <laughs> You just don't know when, when you know, God's going to knock a Saul off his donkey or going to take a Nebuchadnezzar and send him out and, like an animal for seven years. You just don't know. I mean, you're just not a good judge of what could happen. Are, are you with me? You're just not really a good judge of what God can do with a Nebuchadnezzar. You're just not a good judge of it. Well, he's killed Christians. He's, you know, he, he's a tyrant. He's, you know, made a, a statue to himself. Yeah, and he's got one guy who believes in him, and it's Daniel. One guy. Well, he had four until he threw three of them in the fire. I'm just thinking that they probably weren't very fond of the king after that. Maybe. 
Okay. I want to just read you some other things Jesus said. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. I say, but I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other also, and whoever takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Treat others the same way you want to be treated. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who, who, uh, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love... But love um, your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind, he himself, listen to this, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. You didn't get that. First of all, he said there's evil men, and he said God's kind to them. Be merciful as your father is merciful. What is your father? Merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it shall be given to you. They will pour it into your lap. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running all over. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, I just used this this morning for money. But this, today, I was reading the context, and I realized that actually, this is the context of this give, and it shall be given to you, is about giving mercy. He says, if you don't, if you give mercy, it'll be given to you. And the amount of mercy that you give out will be given back to you. If you don't condemn, you won't be condemned. If you pardon, it'll be pardoned. However, listen, if you pardon this much, you'll be pardoned this much. If you, if you give mercy this much, you'll be given mercy this much. If you judge this much, you'll be judged this much. And he's saying, you choose the measure of mercy that you receive. Are you following me? What I'm getting at is that, listen, you can't lose by loving people too much. In the New Testament. In the Old Testament, yes. In the New Testament, I mean, in the Old Testament, if you gave mercy to a king who God wasn't giving mercy to, he probably took you out of your kingship and cut that king to pieces. But that's why Jesus said, you heard it said. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. But I say, in other words, you're in a new covenant. That's why you take communion, so you'll remember what side of the cross you live on. And on this side of the cross, God is, does good things to evil and ungrateful people. Well, if you're grateful, God will help you. Actually, God helps people who don't help themselves. God helps people who can't help themselves. And God helps people who hate God. Well, I don't think that's true. Well, it is. It's right here. God, God treats people who are evil. He treats them mercifully. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you won't be condemned. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Expecting nothing in return. You'll be like your father in heaven. Uh, I, you know, I, I, don't, I just don't understand how we get in this place where we can not be merciful to people who don't deserve it. I don't understand why we can't go deeper and instead of prophesying the obvious and calling that a prophetic word, why we can't go deeper and say, God, what is your will for these people? What is your will for our country? 
Well, I'll tell you, you know, the debt's so big, uh, it would take a miracle. I believe in miracles. Well, we'll never do it with the Democrats in there. Well, he did it with, you know, with Nebuchadnezzar in there. You know, I, I don't, like whenever you tell God he can't do it, it awakens him. By the way, I, I'm really not making a political statement. I'm just trying to get you to understand that you can't limit God and you can't demonize people because they're from another country. And so when you're like, you know what, the Chinese are going to have a million man army. I really doubt it. I think those people are pretty kind. I actually don't think they want to fight anybody. I think they're trying to feed their billion people. And I actually think they're going to learn generosity and they're going to help the world. And I bet you the greatest, <laughs> the greatest move of generosity and benevolence in the next 20 years comes out of China. I see China helping Africa. I see China helping India. And I see more missionaries come out of China than America has ever sent in its lifetime. And I see Daniel's already standing at the door of, of princes in China, whispering in their ear the words of the kingdom. I'm telling you, you, you watch. And so I, I want to finish with just the scripture. First Corinthians 13 has been in my heart for just days. I, I talked to our staff about it two weeks ago. If I speak with tongues of men and angels and do not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but I do not have love, it profits me nothing. Now here are the attributes of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's, love is not jealous. Love doesn't brag, and it doesn't act arrogantly. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It's not provoked, and it does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. <clears throat> it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never fails. I think that sometimes gifts can fail. I think sometimes people don't get healed. Sometimes prophecies go bad. Sometimes people don't get delivered. But I don't think love ever fails. And so I think it's really important that as we move into supernatural ministry and tonight we're talking about prophecy that the vehicle that drives or if you will carries our supernatural ministry is love and honor patience and virtues and I think that when we start prophesying things that create fear that we're on the wrong side. First John 4, which is the, the chapter about the Antichrist spirit 
and about false prophets says, ends with these thoughts. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. And if you look at the context, the whole chapter is about the Antichrist and false prophets. In other words, in the context, he's saying, when your prophetic ministry creates fear, you're listening to the wrong spirit. I'm not the, guy, the kind of guy that runs around just trying to tell everybody, throwing flowers to everybody. <clears throat> but I'm also not the kind of person that looks at the situation and decides what the prophetic word should be. God said, and has warned me many times, do not look with the eyes of man. And so I can tell you that when I come out of this, uh, a, when I get a word like this and I, I write it down and pray over it and the presence of God is there, I feel like this is totally possible. <clears throat> I, I'm just trying to tell you how it feels. When, I, when, I, when the Lord is talking to me and the anointing is on my life, I don't feel like this is, in, this feels totally rational. I can tell you that when the anointing lifts and I look back at that word, I go, that's crazy. That's totally nuts. But it's the Lord that makes it possible. And so probably like everybody, when I walk away from a word like that and I give it publicly, I'm like, okay, that felt very possible while I was under the anointing. When I start counting all the things that have to happen for these things to come to pass, it feels really scary. And then the Lord talks to me about, do you want to just prophesy things that are possible? Do you want to be a a prophet? Are you looking to be a prophet? Or are are you looking to be a consultant? Because if you want to be a consultant, then you just need to look at the signs of the times, add them all up, forget the X factor, and tell people what's going to happen. If you want to be a prophet, then you better listen to what I say. Because I am not limited, nor am I intimidated by people. <clears throat> so, that's where I'm at. And um, I, uh, I, I wrote a book called Developing a Supernatural Lifestyle. It's not really a plug for the book, but I get so many people writing me saying, hey, do you know about this scripture? And do you know about this scripture? Do you know about Ananias and Sapphira? Do you know that, God, that Jesus judged three cities? And do you know about Matthew 24? And how about Revelation 13? And, and I'm like, okay, I, I don't think people actually think I know that those scriptures are there. So I think it's important. Like this, uh, I, I wrote a book about core values and how you see the world and how that affects your prophecy. You know, there are certain people um, that um, people write me, and, and, you know, this happens about every year, every other year, and they'll say, hey, so-and-so just put a prophecy out on such-and-such list and such-and-such, and and, um, you need to read it. And I'm like, "I, I don't need to read the prophecy. Well, man, you won't believe what they're prophesying. Yes, I will, because I know what their lens is. I know that the names change, but the prophecies remain the same. So, you know, um, if, I, if I see you, I, you know, I have pastored a lot of prophetic people in my life. If I watch you prophesy over ten people, 
Never met you before. I let you prophesy two minutes apiece over ten people. I can tell you what you believe. Because you will always prophesy out of your core values. And if you think that America deserves to be punished or that evil's coming from the West Coast or that, and you believe that sin deserves to be punished and there's, and, and of course we, we all believe that. How many believe there's a judgment day? I certainly do. I think there's a judgment day. I just don't think we live in the judgment day. I think we live in the last days, which happen to be great and glorious. These are the days God pours out his spirit upon all flesh. There's coming a time which is called a day. Nine times it's mentioned. I've taught this over and over. Nine times it's mentioned as a day, and it's called judgment day. And it's called great and terrible. It's great for everybody who's going into the kingdom, and it's terrible for everybody who ignored all those thousands of years when God said, grace, 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 mercy, mercy, mercy. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you even though you did that. I love you even though you did that. I love you even though you did that. I love you even though you ran over me and called me all those things and you hated me and you did all these terrible things to my people. I love you, I love you. Oh, now we have judgment day. And I do believe in a judgment day. I, I, don't, I, don't, think, I don't think that... Um, I think that you can choose to go to hell. I don't think Jesus chooses that for you. He chose heaven. This is how much he wants you to go to heaven. You have to step over the blood of Jesus to get to hell. Jesus said, over my dead body will you go to hell. And there's still some people that make that choice. God chose heaven. As a matter of fact, you'll notice that it says in the book of Revelation... That if you do these things, your name will be blotted out from the book of life. Why? Because when you were born, it was written in. You were never designed to go to hell. God planned for you to go to heaven. You have to try to get your name out of the book, not in it. So, um, so I, just, I just really believe that if you want mercy, you need to give it. If you want to be pardoned, you better be the one pardoning. If you don't want to be judged... You better not judge. And understanding we have to judge between right and wrong. I'm talking about judgment, like that person deserves to be punished. So, um, I want us to pray. Would you stand? Oh, boy. This is one of those times I stepped down from speaking and feel like I gave um, an incomplete message. I wish I could take everything that's in here and somehow get it out of my mouth and put it in your hearts. Because I do believe that you can justify your position if you want to be somebody who's judgmental and you want, and you want to see earthquakes and famines. I think you, there's enough scriptures to find that. I think if you hate your mother and father, I think you can find scriptures to, to justify you doing that. But I do believe that God wants love to win. I do believe that God wants mercy to win. I do believe it's the heart of the Father. I believe it's in the heart of the Father to give mercy to people who don't deserve it and to release people from their sins. I do believe that. And I do believe that you have the power to forgive people who don't deserve it. Because when Jesus breathed on his disciples, he said, Be filled with the Spirit. Peace to you. 
He breathed on them, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then the next, his next sentence, he said, whomever sins you retain, I retain. Whomever sins you forgive, I forgive. And I have decided to forgive the sins of our nation. But I do think as a believer that you can retain them. I choose to forgive them. And the reason I choose to forgive them is because I need forgiveness myself. So if you don't need forgiveness and you don't need mercy, Jesus judged three cities. I don't think Jesus needs mercy. But you do. I think. Maybe you don't. So I pray we bring back the days of Ananias and Sapphira. A very small percentage of the people actually pay for their own sins. So, Lord, I just pray right now, thank you for this tense atmosphere. (laughs) Lord, we just release mercy over this planet. That the whole planet would turn blood red. Mm -hmm. And that the blood would cover all creation. It'd be up to the horse's bridle. Because the blood, the kingdom, you said, preach the kingdom to every living creature. That all creation would be changed by the blood. That the whole planet would be changed by the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for America that you would reverse the tide of the economy. And Lord, we know that we deserve. We know that we deserve to be financially punished. We understand that we have... We understand that we have went after wealth, that we have went after materialism. And we understand that we have sinned against heaven, but we ask for your mercy. And Father, we we pray that you would remember us for good. And that you would release inventions, innovation, and that you would reverse the debt. And that it would be a people movement. That people everywhere would begin to sprout up like soldiers in an army and bring the kingdom to America and to the world. And Lord, I pray for China. Come on, let's just fly over China right now. Lord, we just bless China right now. We bless them in the name of the Lord. We pray that they would prosper. Lord, we pray that there would be no hungry people in China. Lord, we pray for that in Jesus' name. God, that you would feed all of their people, that their economy would prosper. Not How many understand when God prospers somebody, it doesn't have to be at the expense of somebody else. There's plenty in the kingdom. So, Lord, we pray that you would prosper China. And, God, that you would speak into the ears of the leadership of China and that they would become generous, that they would become benevolent, they would become... Um, You said you would give them a ministry of helps. I pray that Chinese would go all over the world helping in crisis, helping uh, during during, um, uh, famines and earthquakes and 
and, and uh, hurricanes and all of those kind of things, that China would send out thousands and thousands and millions of workers to help people who are in trouble and give millions of dollars to benevolence. Lord, I pray for that in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that whatever's sprouting out of Pennsylvania, we bless Pennsylvania right now in Jesus' name, and we say, come to the forefront like the head goose, right? We just, we, we just want to get behind you and bless you and say, come to the forefront as one of the powerful states in our nation. We bless what you're doing there. Let the liberty bell ring. Lord, we pray for that in Jesus' name, that liberty would come out of Pennsylvania. <clears throat> and Father, I pray for, the, for the, the mindset of the church that we would begin to believe that you want to do something amazing in our day. And that you don't want to just do it to people, just to a person, but you want to corporately bless a people. You want to show your love that you love people who don't deserve it, and it's a sign of your greatness. So we pray for that in the name of Jesus. May God bless America.